BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Taking a walk with Buzz Knight. Well, I'm Buzz Knight. I'm the host of uh, the Taking a Walk podcast series, Taking a Walk Boston Gems, special uh, edition. And if you're a loyal follower of the show, uh, we appreciate your support. Definitely always uh, share, subscribe, review, continue to pass the word. Uh, Don't be shy about it. And if you're new, uh, welcome. Uh, I love connecting, certainly, uh, with old friends or connecting with uh, new friends for the Taking a Walk podcast series. And um, so much of Taking a Walk is about the art of, of storytelling. Everyone has a story to tell. And today's guest, uh, he's got quite a story, quite a number of stories to tell. He's uh, Emmy-nominated, award-winning. He's, uh, he's part of the secret society of the Farrelly brothers, I think is what I like to call it. It was a club cool, maybe we'll call it, uh, under the uh, production banner called uh, Conundrum Entertainment. Uh, He's been part of the team uh, behind blockbuster hits like Something About Mary, Me, Myself, and Irene, Shallow How, Fever Pitch, Hall Pass, The Three Stooges, The Unbelievable Dumb and Dumber, um, and um, that's about two billion in box office sales. Can you say two billion? That's amazing. Um, I don't think I know what that means. But, uh, <laughs> it's a nice, it's a nice ring, especially with uh, the executives and the folks that uh, invest in us in the past. It's amazing. He's co-founder, CEO of a new venture, which we'll talk about as well, called Mudhouse Media, and I'm uh, so happy to be here in the Blue Hills, uh, uh, way off the mean streets of Milton, Massachusetts, uh, with uh, Chris Meyer. It's so nice to uh, see you, Chris. Hey, Buzz. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on uh, Taking a Walk. Um, Two billion. How does that really, does that really still uh, give you goosebumps when we talk about uh, the impact of those films? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and again, I, I I was just a cog in the wheel. 
you know, the Farrelly brothers are the ones, the, tr the true uh, maestros and, and masters behind it. And I was all able to become part of their team and go along for the, 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 uh, the ride. But, you know, when you think about that, you know, the, 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 less than 2% of folks would go out there to make it. You know, and I'm at the bottom 2% of that. But I can't, you know, I, I pinch myself all the time that I moved out to Los Angeles as a young man, you know, uh, with very little and uh, met the right guys at the right time and went on an incredible journey with them across the world, around the world, around the country, and making uh, somewhere 20 plus films and TV shows. Yeah, what a, that is a ride. So how did you first meet the guys? Um, I, was, I was working at, I was working at a, uh, a lounge slash nightclub. Uh, I had run out of money early on in my early days of Los Angeles, living in Venice, California, and I needed a job. And I played a lot of basketball at the time, and I met a lot of the guys uh, I'm still friends with today on the basketball court. And uh, funny enough, I was, I was walking around Santa Monica, passing my resume around, and I was at a hot dog stand. And the gentleman uh, of this music club that a few folks had said we should go to, uh, I like the blues and I like music and, and uh, was at the hot dog stand and he had a hat on that had the name of the club I said hey man do you work there? he said yeah yeah I said I desperately need a job you know I'll do anything and he said you play hoop on the beach I said yes I play basketball on the beach he said do you want to bounce? I need a bouncer I'm like ooh I don't know but uh, ooh okay you know I needed the money Yeah. so I started bouncing there his name was Todd Christensen. He became my friend and still my friend today and gave me a lot of leeway um, in a long leash when I was working for him to try to pursue, you know, the entertainment space and the film and TV space while I was there while working for him. And I ended up bar backing and then bartending. And through my career there, early days, the Farrelly brothers came in there just before they became the Farrelly brothers. And we just hit it off, just coming from the same part of town, same sense of humor. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit older than I, but, uh, you know, we, we just hit it off. And um, they had just finished, I think, Kingpin. And I was getting close to packing it in. You know, I'd been out there five or six years and just, uh, you know, everyone's lives are growing back here. And people, you know, buying homes and getting, getting out of law school and MBAs and their lives are growing. And I'm out in L.A. just, you know, kind of spinning my wheels and trying to figure, you know, find my way. And... Uh, I came, I came home for a death in the family, and at that point I had made a decision maybe to come back in about six months and start over. And I always thought, as long as I gave it a true valiant effort, and I was still, I'd, you know, if it came back in my late 20s, I'm still young enough to start over and get into something else. And uh, I went back to L.A. I said, I'm going to give myself six more months, you know, and... Uh, because at that point I was just existing, you know, I wasn't really enjoying much. And Doing odd jobs. Yeah, stuff. I was working at the bar. I was I was PAing. This is funny too. My first paid PA gig in Los Angeles was on a Mako car commercial <laughs> with Craig T. Nelson and Charo. Coochie <laughs> coochie. Yeah, it was incredible. And I'm like, I, I we did like six of them in a row. You know, then you then there's no work for a while, and then I'd PA on another, mostly commercials, uh, and then. Was she stitched together then? I, I, she's I think, certainly stitched I, I together think so. now, I, isn't she? I, I think she's been stitched from birth, maybe. But. <laughs> 
She was with the... She was very nice and spirited. She's always spirited. Spirited. She That's 20 plus years ago. Xavier Kuga, who was the band leader, and that was her husband. I think so, did, she, did she did she start on like the Ed Sullivan show? Oh boy, I'm not that Maybe. old. Maybe no, 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 you. No, but I'm just I'm, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Got you there. Uh, yeah, she, she she was a firebrand. Yeah, you know. But and anyway, so you were on you you worked. Yeah, I was on, working. At, I was I was PA. working nights. You know, I ended up. I, I you know for a brief moment too. I mean, everyone's got their story, right? And and it, it's a challenge, especially when you're not you know born and raised. You're moving. I you know. I always I talk to a lot of kids and even adults on and mentor them on what you need to have ready before you go and try to prep and network before you go. I didn't know anything about that when I grew up when I moved to Los Angeles. I had never lived five minutes from my house. And you weren't married then. No, I was know, single. Yeah. yeah, I was, was twenty three years old. I went out there with no money and no network. Going to make movies, Ma. Where did your dad's say? like Jesus Christ? What yeah. did he say? He thought they thought you were nuts, right? Yeah. What about law school? <laughs> Not going, Dad. So what would you have done if you uh, didn't, you know, sync up with the Farrelly brothers and Jeez, start this? Good ride? question. I don't know. What, what do you think you would have done? Professional basketball? No, you know, I, <laughs> I always thought about that, but uh, you know, my height and ability kept me from that. <laughs> but uh, you know, I thought about being a firefighter. Yeah, my whole family's firefighters. Right? Yeah. It's in my blood. Yeah. Um, so that was a possible default? That was a possible default. I didn't really, you know what? I didn't really think about what I would do next. I had that always in my background because my, you know, I've always, it's in my blood as, uh, you know, the son of a family of firefighters. Um, but did you have in your mind, like, you know, something that you were visualizing that was, you know, a definition of success? No, I just was, at that time, again, I was young. I was just trying to make a living. Yeah. You know, now, I, you know, then, then, you know, you know, life gets takes you in certain paths, and I end up on the producing track, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 that's what I ended up doing. Um, so that started ultimately with, with your, the Fairleys. Yeah, the I started as their as their assistant. You know, they were the first. If, I don't know about the first, but at that time there were very few dual directors. Mm -hmm. I think the Cohen brothers were there, mm. but you know now it's commonplace. You and I could direct together. You know, and brothers, and it's pretty common. But back then, it was rare to have a duel. You know, not. It, it was pretty rare. There's very few of them at the time. So I started as their assistant, and then over the course of 15 years, I moved up to associate producer, co-producer, producer, and now partner with them on certain projects. So what was best. the first, uh, just you know, real project with them that you yeah. worked on? I tell everybody I was um, to date myself now, but I was Malcolm Butler. You know, coming out of the community college in Mississippi to win the Super Bowl of movies that year. Yep. And that was Something About Mary. Yeah. So with that, with the success of Something About Mary, the filmmaker's dream is to have a development deal with a studio. And that allowed the guys to have a studio deal with 20th Century Fox and a first look deal with them, which allows them to hire me and the other folks that we worked with. So that was at the beginning. That was the beginning. Talk about that cast. The cast was incredible. Cameron Diaz, you know, Matt Dillon. Chris Elliott, Steve Sweeney, Steve Sweeney, of course, our local legends in Boston comics, uh, Lenny Clark and Steve Sweeney, uh, Marky Post, Keith David, uh, Ben Stiller, um, what a cat. Willie Garson. You know, Willie Garson sadly recently passed, as Marky Post has. Um, 
Willie Garson was uh, a big part of Sex in the City as well. Great guy. Oh, Sarah cast. Silverman's in it oh, before no she kidding. took off. Wow. Um, and then Lynn Shea, she's been a, a jewel to work with. She she played Magda, and she also played uh, the landlady in Kingpin. Great, I saw great. some list recently yeah. of the best comedy movies and comedy moments of yeah. all time, maybe the top 100 mm. or something. And, of course, the movie is on that list, right? It's unbelievable. Um, I had never experienced making a movie of that size. I'd made a few independents locally in Boston before we had left. But I knew that movie was had something special without even knowing it. I was naive as a young man. That when we were in the we uh when we when we do our uh, our tests, you might you know we'll, we'll test it with a marketing you know the studio has a marketing company you, you test it for the public, and you might do that. Hopefully you don't do it too often, but you typically do it once or twice or three times. And they help rate the movie and help tell you, and that's where the execs come in, the PR folks, and it it it, it gives you a little reflection of where some of the holes lie in, in the films. And I was in I was in a row with guys my age, a little younger, a little older, at the time, 27, 28, 27, 28. And I was in a line with all the public, all these different kids of all, like my got ages. And once the joke started, I couldn't even hear half the movie. <laughs> kids will, I was by myself, they don't know who I am, and they're going across my chest high-fiving. You couldn't hear it. All of a sudden, you see the execs. Everyone's head start popping up and starts looking around the theater, and everyone, I think, really knew at that point, we have something special here. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was the beginning of the ride, and that was also, it, it sounds as if... And from, from what I remember, it, it, it opened up at number two, and it stayed there for like, weeks on end at number two and then I think at one point went to number one it's the only number two movie at that time I don't know you have to correct me if I'm wrong but to go from two to number one that right. never happens usually right. movies drop 60% 40% every week you know and that movie just kept word of mouth the legs it just it just stayed at one spot and just grabbed momentum the water cooler etc right and it just it blew up but that became part of your education with each uh, oh, absolutely. Movie you were part of, and yes. it sounds as if then the Farrellys gave you, had more confidence in you, yes. gave you more mm -hmm. work to yeah. do. Yeah. So, what was the next project? I, you know, yeah, I mean, I was a sponge, right? And osmosis. Ear the early days when you first start, you know, I do a lot of coverage, which means I basically do a book report, if you would, on, on uh, if they even call them that now, uh, on scripts. So, we read, I mean, I get inundated with scripts to vet. Do we like it? Does it fit our mission? You know, our and, and things like that. So I started, you know, early on they started having me do coverage. Now the beauty I tell a lot of kids today is if you being the director's assistant or a producer's assistant or a writer's assistant, depending on which path you want to take. But early on, if you might not have a choice, but as a director's assistant, I tell everyone it's incredible because you know you do a lot of the lug work, right? In the knucklehead work but in addition to that you're there from day one of the ideation of the of the script all the way to the release of the film and you touch every aspect of that because you're working for the director so you're talking to editorial you're talking to execs agents stars talent 
production designers, costume designers, everybody you can think of, stunt coordinators. And they all come through you to get to the to the director. It's like an MBA. Yeah, it's a quick yeah, it's a, it's a quick MBA. You know, you learn by fire and trial and error, but that's the beauty of it. So you're talking to everybody because sometimes if you're an editorial, you typically only deal with editorial. You know, if you're only in the costume department, you're dealing with costume, you know. And so we get to touch every aspect of the film. And, you know, um, being on the director's hip is huge. Not only on if you want to direct and learn from that, but also being on the phone with them, talking to everyone. You're just, you know, you're picking up everything as you go. So we all know that you do learn by mistakes, ultimately. Yeah. What's the worst mistake at that period that you <laughs> made as part of that process? Oh, there were many. <laughs> no, um, that, that you learned from. I learned how to be Johnny on the spot at that point. You know, I was available 24 hours a day, which I never knew what that meant. 24-7 <laughs> for multiple years. Um, Maybe before the, the proliferance of uh, cell phones. Yeah, cell phones. Well. I, you know, when I was there, it was pre-internet and pre-cell. Right. The cell had just come to be on that movie. That was my first cell phone. It was in 1998. Yeah. Um, Probably a big uh, one of those big. Uh, it was a Qualcomm block phone. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the big one. It was like half that size. Yeah, very it, convenient. Yeah, and uh, uh, I'm sure there's still you know gamma rays bouncing through your system uh, yeah. as we speak. So I learned. I learned to be Johnny on the spot, available 24/7, which you know you're not typically used to that when you you think you put in a full 18-hour day and then the calls still come. There's only six hours to sleep left. And you're still getting calls, not just from them, but a lot of times, everyone in the in, in in the company is calling you because they need you to get to the director, you know. So some the phones never stop. Now, in addition to that, you know, uh, you know, I have two bosses, you know, right. who are brothers, right? You know, so you need to make sure you're constantly debriefing and briefing both at the same time, right? And make sure they understand what's going on because sometimes they're separate from each other, and that that, that that's a balancing act, you know, which is great. Um, and then j just learning how to um, you have to be very resourceful as an assistant, you know. Suddenly you'll get a task, you know, out of the blue we'll be sitting here doing this interview, and I would get a call that I have to go to the airport and show the movie to Tina Turner in Zurich. Now that's pretty cool, yeah. but. If you already have plans, you know, <laughs> right. and you're in the middle of something, that could be a little difficult to explain. How great was it reporting for work every day and getting to smile at Cameron Diaz every day? Yeah, not a bad thing because she's a great lady and she, she, she deserves all the success she has. She could not have been anything but um, just uh, a lady, yeah. you know, just etiquette, you know, uh, spirited, just, you know. One of the good ones. Yeah. You know? And I love how uh, graceful she is to this day. She is. And you I know? just heard she's coming out of retirement. And she took, you know, it's nice. She, she took a 10-year break to enjoy her life and raise her family. Um, and I, I saw somewhere in the trades recently she might be coming back with Jamie Foxx to do a movie. It's a nice life. You know, wow. Yeah. She's great. Her family's great. I mean, she went, you know what's funny? People don't remember, too, when, the, when you talk to them locally here. Um, she went to school with Snoop. And with Willie McGinnis. So that's why you saw Snoop and or her or Snoop in and around the Patriots on their, you know, 10-year run. She went to high that. school at Long Beach High with them. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. 
And now she's with those good Charlotte boys. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So what was the next movie after, uh, after that? Uh, after Something About Mary, we did uh, Me, Myself, and Irene. And we shot, actually, we, I don't know if it was before, I think 1999 was, uh, we, shot, we shot here, actually, at the Blue Hills at the top of Big Blue, Osmosis Jones, which is a, a great kids movie. That's great. Um, we, we, uh, the first half hour is live action, and the rest of it goes to animation once inside the body. And we shot, we shot around this location. Who was, who was in that? Ooh, everybody. Uh, Bill Murray, Chris Elliott again, Molly Shannon, Brandy, David Hyde Pierce. Oh, wow. Um, cast. Lawrence Fishburne. Wow. Um, Chris Rock. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was it like working with, uh, with Chris Elliott? Chris Elliott's a great guy. Great guy. You know, just, just again, down to earth. Really, really uh, fun to be around. Yeah, pretty simple. I can just look at him and laugh. Yeah. I don't even need him to Woogie. say anything. He played Woogie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I mean, just looking at him. Yeah. And I was a fan of his, you know, late father and, yeah. you know, Bob and Ray. Yeah. Partnership and everything like that. But he, Chris he, is he, amazing. Oh, he, he was great, too, with, um, especially at the end there, um, you know, when they all come in, Brett Favre and Woogie and, 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 and Lee Evans, great, you know, English actor who played the pizza delivery boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. He's a big, you know, English comic. That was, that was, that was a great movie to be a part of. And tell me about the experience of Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber 2, uh, just, you know, bringing, bringing back that, you know, the original classic to life. Yeah. It was just incredible. Yeah. You know, it was, it was ironic because I was just having a child at that point, so I had to leave quickly from Atlanta, you know, halfway through the movie because uh, my daughter was being born. But, Priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, I remember I, I got a call in the middle of the night from my wife that her water broke. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> she said, what? Because I was half asleep. We had been doing nights, and we just switched over, so I was like... Oh, my God. Frazzled. She said, I said, are you sure? I said, false alarm? She said, no, no, no. My dad's coming to get me. Get your ass home. So, and I couldn't get a flight because it was three in the morning at that time. So uh, I went to set the next day and I said, guys, you want the good news or the bad news? They're like, you know, they get all stern, like, oh my God. And I said, well, the bad news is I have to go, but the good news is I'm having a baby. <laughs> I said, ah, yay, everyone's cheering and fun. And I flew back to Boston and uh, my daughter was born. Wow. But yeah, no, I mean, working with Jim, Jim Carrey and the gang again, just just around royalty at yeah. that point. Yeah, right? comic comic royalty and and, and, and and the guys, you know Yeah, it's it's just it, it's tough to explain because it just when the, when they all get together and, and, and you know Jim Jim's a pro, you know, he's one of the best, like you said, a legend and, and, and the guys, you know, they all came up together, which is pretty cool. Right. And they got to bring it back and come full circle and bookend it together twenty years later with Dumb and Dumber Two. Amazing. Yeah. So what do you think of the state of, uh, you know, the film business these days, obviously? It's had its immense challenges. Mm -hmm. um, is it ever going to come back as it used to be? No, I don't think so. You know, I mean, that's a tough thing to do now. I mean, it's still in flux. You know, with the advent of Netflix, it changed the world, you know. Um, and the streaming services now, I mean, we have all seen, obviously, because of the climate, maybe COVID, but the climate... You know, with the dawn of with, with with Netflix, finally, you know, Disney and all the other studios have come up, you know, to know that they need to get in the streaming game. You know, 
and you know, I just read somewhere the other day that they think linear TV may go away in the next 10 to 15 years. You know, it's digital. Most kids under 30, most folks under 30, they don't watch TV. They watch everything on the laptop. Um, but you must, like me, feel it's impressive to see what Tom Cruise was able to do with uh, his current success. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, that's really astounding. Oh, it is. I mean, it's Tom Cruise, too, right? Um, but it, no, there's it, no guarantees of anybody. No, no. But I, I haven't seen Top Gun, but I hear, it's, I hear it from... You know, older folks and younger folks that it's fantastic. People talk it, about it. Yeah, it's the first time in, since COVID, and that's the beauty now that people are going back. I went and saw Minions with my daughter in the theater on a Tuesday at noon. It was packed. Because I, I am a bit of a purist still in that I still love going to the movies. Sure. Right? It's a great night out. It's yeah. a great escape, all that. And I still love watching movies on the streamers, on the big screen. But there's still, you know, there's, it, 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 it's different, you know? And it, you know, it's given multiple. I think there's 457 t TV shows out there. Whether it's on, you know, linear TV or the streamer or whatnot, you know, which is great because it's provided a lot more work for everyone. But yeah, the world has changed. I mean, and, and, and luckily the studios have all, you know, they were a little behind the eight ball. Now they're catching up because Netflix has dominated forever. So what's I mean, the general time. rule of uh, start to finish on a major movie project? Is there a general time frame rule of thumb? No. I mean, it's all specific to the filmmakers. You know, we, we a lot of times we'll make a movie, we'll prep late summer, early fall to shoot through the fall and finish for Christmas. And then... You know, a lot of folks, a lot of movies don't start until after the new year. They prep and then shoot in the spring. Or prep in the spring and shoot in the summer. It all depends on what you have, what's going on in your world. Sometimes the studio dictates when it's going to get made, depending on what they have coming out on their slate. You know, depending the cost. There's a whole, there's all, a number of different factors that come in. Um, but by the time you decide to write the script, and if it gets greenlit, you know, that's about an 18-month run. You know, uh, by the, you know, from the beginning to the end, maybe even longer sometimes. I mean, sometimes they take years to get off the ground, as we know, you know. And you're bullish on more movies coming to Massachusetts, aren't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And how does that happen? It seems to be cyclical. Is that true? Uh, I don't think it's cyclical. It, it is to a certain extent, but now that, you know, we've had the tax credit here, and now we've lifted the sunset clause. I mean, I think there were 30 productions here this year. And there's 15 more to come. And are you actively part of any sort no. of group that does no. that uh, recruits that, or just, no? You, it's just your, a lot of that's it's a, just the mass good state. nature. No, no, a lot of that's the state. You know, the Mass State Film Office, right? You know, and then people coming here. I mean, Hands, Handmaid's Tales here, Julia, um, um, find. Uh, I think it's called Find His Kind. You know, a lot of people think because I, I make movies. I'm involved with every movie that comes here. I do. I thought yeah. that. You've <laughs> no. just burst my bubble. No, yeah, no. I know that. How could but, you possibly? But a lot of people think that in that, you know, you have your own camps. Every director brings their team. But Massachusetts is an incredible place to make a movie. And now that the tax credit's here, it's got everything. And, you know, I think we have some of the best, we have the some of the best crew base and some of the best content creators. I mean, I, I'm a little biased, obviously, but... You know, the dawn of American literature starts here in New England, right? But we have some of the best writers and screenwriters in the world here. I mean, you know, Andres Dubois wrote House of Hand, uh, Sand and Fog. 
William Monaghan, screenplay, just wrote Tender Bar and, you know, Departed. Paul Tremblay just became the new face of sci-fi fantasy horror. You know, his last book, um, Cabin at the End of the World, is being made into a movie by M. Night Shyamalan. Chuck Hogan. There's just a, a plethora of, of talent here. In addition to the locations, you can get everything from, you know, we look like New York, but we can also look like Alabama. You know, we have the old and the new. Contemporary, present day, past. I mean, Little Women shot here, all the way to Free Guy. So we have, you know, we're on the ocean, we can get to the mountains, the hills. We have a little bit of everything for everyone. And we have a great, and on, on top of that, we have great people in, in the city of Boston, in Massachusetts, and, and a great place to base yourself out of Boston while you're making a film. Yeah, the uh, artists seem to like to come here to yeah. take these projects on. Yeah. So I often wondered why Boston has been such a, a hotbed of so much entertainment, so much comedy, as an example. And then you just think about it from the movie perspective. Um, do you just think it's because of the great education that's around, the mm -hmm. great surroundings? Why do you think it, or is it just that everyone's tortured from sitting in two hours of traffic every day? Yeah, <laughs> probably a little bit of all, all of it. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously we have, you know, our academia, is, is world-renowned, right? And our educational uh, universities and colleges are bar none, you know, um, throughout throughout the world, right? In addition to that, I think the people of Massachusetts and Boston bring a certain... Um, it's a panache. Yeah, a panache, exactly. <laughs> and, and I just a, a wanted panache to or, use the term panache. Yeah, pa panache like and palate uh, <laughs> th that brings an eclectic, diverse group of people. Like, you know, it's funny. I mean, if you just think of all the folks that are from Boston that are out in L.A. that are hugely successful. Right. I mean, other than maybe New York or Chicago, I don't know, or even L.A., a good portion of those come from our area. And why is that, right? right. I mean, in all facets. And then comedy, I think because we come from a great world of sarcasm, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. in grit. Yeah. That lends itself to sarcasm. Yes. In that blue-collar kind of working class. That's it. Uh, vibe in 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 in, in um, origin story, if you would, lends itself to that comedy. And I didn't even grow up here. Yeah. I understand. Do you think? Yeah. Do you, I agree. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is, and it's a bit of the. Um, I think sometimes the relationship between Boston and New York mm. and the competitiveness that mm -hmm. uh, obviously it existed in greater degrees in the sports world, but. There's always a little oh, bit yeah. of this back and forth, I think. Oh, yeah. We're, I, we, I always liken us to a smaller New York. Right. You know, we have our villages and our boroughs and, you know, th this and that. But it's also like most of the guys I, I gravitated towards when I moved to Los Angeles were from New York. We all come from the same yoke. Yeah. You know, despite this, you know, if you would, the sibling rivalry of our sports teams and this yeah. and that and the competitiveness. I, we're we're like-minded, I think, and like persons to a certain extent. You know, uh yeah, I think there's the sense of, 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 of New York and Boston. I think uh, certainly Chicago has elements mm. of it, and Philadelphia does as well. Yeah. That sense of camaraderie, yeah. but also that... Kinship. But that, you know, uh, ball-breaking, too. Yeah, I yeah, mean, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, that's, that's why what... the, all those places are some of my favorite places. Yeah, and we need, to, we need to get back to a little bit of that, you know, because we need to laugh at each other and ourselves. And not take ourselves too seriously. Well, from what I understand, comedy in general these days is hotter than ever, meaning the clubs and everything like that. 
obviously because people are just they would starved be, for yeah. you know some something to entertainment make and them to get laugh. out. Yeah. yeah, I mean yeah. really. So when did you first know you were a great storyteller? I don't know if I'm a fully complete storyteller, but it's always a work in progress. Okay, buzz, a but, work in progress storyteller. Uh, <laughs> great question. Um, or that you knew at a point in your life that storytelling was going to be part of your career. I think probably, you know, four or five or six years into, into my career with the Farrelly brothers, I knew, like, oh, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to understand it. And I think I have, you know, the talent or the know-how and the knowledge on how to, you know, tell a great story. You know, a lot of that came from my background. You know, back to you said the, the back to the uh, the grit, a little bit of the grit and grind, and in, in, in the uh, in the drawing back and forth with each other, and as you're growing up and with your siblings, etc. You know, that that lends itself to the storytelling too. Has to. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, most of the funniest guys I know are the guys I grew up with. Yeah. You know? Still to this day, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, and you won't see them for X number of years, and then when you see them, you pick back right up. It's like again. riding the bike. Right. Yeah. It's Which like riding the bike. unbelievable. Yeah. And it's uh, it's yeah, a it's, gift. It, really. it is a gift. Yeah. You think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I always bring this up, you know, and this goes back to the Fairley Brothers. Comedies, I believe, are one of the hardest movies to make. You can make a straight drama. You get it, right? Not that they, they're all hard to make, but that, that story's pretty, pretty clear. But to make, to create a comedy for the masses, because everyone has their own sense of humor, and make that work, that is a gift. You know, and that's the gift that the guys have that they've been giving to the world for 20 years. On top of that, you know, could we make something about Mary today? I don't know. Right. On the outer shell, it looks as if they're making fun of somebody. But in the they're doing the complete opposite. And they're 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 applauding people in in, in the folks, you know, in, in that world, you know, i.e., you know, with uh, Warren and something about Mary. Mm -hmm. You know? We make those guys in, in the special needs kids the heroes. You know, even though there's a joke or two in between there. But when yeah, you're Yeah, it is so it, hard to know. I mean, what what would fly now and, and and that does I don't know, as a you as a content creator, does that uh, frustrate you that it's harder to know what you can get away with? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, because now you have to be it, 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 understandably, you need to be a little bit more sensitive, I guess, uh, to things. But now you have to, to a certain extent, censor your work a little bit. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, um, what was acceptable even three years ago isn't acceptable now with certain types of comic and humor and, and, and uh, dialogue, you know? Yep. But, again, that's why we need to get back to laughing at each other and with each other and at each other because that's that's... That makes life go around. You want to saunter a little here? In the, in I the love Blue There's Hills? another big word, saunter. Let's do a little, take a saunter. See, we have uh, editorial control of the direction mm. anytime, whether it, when it's 95 degrees. Um, Can we get into the turkey vulture pen? Maybe. I don't know. I've, I, one problem is I, I neglected to bring my Speedo with me. So. Uh, oh, we should, okay. Then we should get in with the otter. <laughs> Into the otter exhibit. What do you and, think? And you take a swim in the pool with the otters. That would be a scene. It wouldn't be boring. <laughs> Police blotter, here we come. <laughs> right? Well, I want to talk about, as we saunter... Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I mentioned this to you the, the other day. Um, I know you're a fan of 
you know, taking walks with your uh, some of your team members at, yes. at Mud House or some of your other yes. uh, folks. Talk about how walking, uh, or in this case, as we're doing in the Blue Hills sauntering, yeah. talk about how that uh, creatively is good. Well, uh, you know, we, we all go to hotels and coffee shops and everything else to, to meet and have meetings. And, and sometimes I think that's a bit stale and stagnant and stasis and static. And I'm an outdoorsman. I love the wilderness, whether it's the oceans or the mountains or... I mean, look where we are right now. We're, we're in a little piece of heaven. Beautiful. And and I think this lends itself to creativity and, and, and people relax more. You know, for me it works. You know, yeah. and, and the team members and even folks I don't really know, instead of going to, again, a hotel lobby or a restaurant and having an hour and a half meeting, I said, would you like to take a walk? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, I know some cool spots. I love, I love that. I love that. And as I think I mentioned to you, too, I mean, that was one of the hallmarks of uh, how Steve Jobs liked to uh, get things done and, you know, take meetings and that yeah. sort of thing. So It I think also lets you loosen up and get outside the office where you're not, you know, you know you, you're always answering calls and questions and people are stopping by. Um, and it just brings a sense of peace not only to you, but to the conversation and to, you know, the folks you're walking with or the business you're talking about. Yeah, and I also just think, too, the, uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's a moment to just sort of stop and, you know, reflect on, like you said, the beautiful place that, you know, you're at and appreciate it and not take it for granted. I know, certainly, during these last few years, I rediscovered a lot of places that uh, I had not been to either or been to as much in my neck of the woods. I've never been here, so this is a new place to discover as well. Uh, So talk about where where, where we're at here, why you like it. Yeah, but I also applaud what you have done, and I I hope and think a lot of people out there in the world have done, where they did get outside, right, and get out and see the world. You have to. You know, a buddy of mine, Brett Denon, is a musician, and he wrote his album last album during uh, COVID called Get Out and See the World. Oh, wow. That's you know, great. That's one of his songs. Wow. And uh, he's coming locally. You know, half a dozen times he'll be playing at the River. You know, he, he headlines the, the River Fest up in New Report for 92.5, the Hampton Beach, etc. But He's a great artist. Oh, incredible. Yeah. In, in the meantime, what you just said I love because not only people are reconnecting, right, with nature, which is, I think it's innate in us, in some people might argue that but it makes it just it also makes you much more rich you know fulfilled and and, and uh, empowering yourself you know? oh yeah oh yeah I mean and boy we live in such a beautiful you know part of the country uh, you know you just once again I mean boy there's just so many great things you go oh my god the bluebirds are back yeah. or you know, yeah. got to feed that hummingbird uh, feeder because the yeah. hummingbirds are back. And you know, There's the robin's nest in my in my door jam with three little blue, you know, eggs. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So let's talk about Mudhouse Media. Yeah, tell Mudhouse is a uh, uh, audio, a full service or audio production company, company, right? Yeah, yeah. So talk about uh, what's going on with it, some of the projects uh, within Mudhouse that you particularly love, and. Where do you want to take this uh, company? 
Well, as we talk about Mudhouse, we're, we're, we're walking by the uh, turkey vulture exhibit <laughs> and uh, give me some inspiration since they uh, eat carrion. Um, <laughs> the, the next one is the bald eagle. Um, but Mudhouse, we started about, we started during COVID, which was obviously insane. Uh, the first seven months of our existence uh, were in lockdown. And uh, I think we, the we vulture was coming the, after the, the us. The vulture is going after the rat that's on the uh, oh. tree trunk there. <laughs> uh, and we've built it, you know, with an incredibly small team, but incredible, you know, production team. And we're, we're, you know, we do, we have one called Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. He's number one or two or three in tennis, depending on the day. Um, we've done a couple incredible, one, 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 you know, that we're proud of all of them, but also we did one with Silverstein Properties. Uh, they're one of the largest developers in New York, if not the country. Um, and they're the owners and uh, developers of the World Trade Center campus. And they hired us to do an 11-part documentary series um, this time last year, we released the first episode on July 6th, coming out of July 4th, all the way up until 9-11. Uh, and they hired us to do um, an 11-part documentary series leading up to the 20th, or 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, what it took to rebuild Lower Manhattan and the World Trade Center after 20 years. What a story. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. We interviewed everybody from Michael, excuse me, Michael Bloomberg to politicians to tastemakers and what it took to rebuild and what happened just prior to 9-11 there is just unbelievable. And we were able to do a deal with SiriusXM, Stitcher, and Pandora for that. Um, and they've recently come back to hire us for another job. That's great. Uh, in the meantime, we have multiple corporate slash branded content uh, jobs lined up. In the mean and also original and, and uh, unscripted and scripted podcast series. So we'll be doing some with... Um, some high-profile authors, some high-profile filmmakers. Um, we have multiple podcasts with um, actors, athletes, musicians, uh, celebrity interior designers, celebrity chefs, and we continue to build. You know, we're lucky we're still here, you know, through COVID. Um, you know, whilst large corporations, small businesses continue to collapse coming out of the other end of COVID, we remain steady and in growth mode and looking forward to the future when Right now we're ready to go. The horses are all watered and uh, ready to go. It's exciting starting something from the beginning like that, isn't it? It's a little bit of both. Yeah, it's exciting, exciting and terrifying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's both. But you know what? That's what keeps you alive. Yeah. You know, it's just like a movie. Yeah. I always tell people startups are just like a, a movie and that movies are startups. Whether you're an independent or, you know, a big temple, they start from a very small idea written to a script, and then hopefully turns into and blossoms into something beautiful and fruitful for everyone. But there's dark days and there's oh, uh, yeah. uplifting like days. There's, there's dark days, <laughs> there's uplifting days, there's sick days, you know, there's days you don't want to show up, you know, <laughs> then there's days all you want to do is show up. Right. You know? Yeah. Days you work seven days a week, and then there's days when you want a month off, you know? <laughs> but overall, it's just, uh, yeah, it's been a joy to work with the uh, team we have and, and, and the investors we have and, and um, just looking forward to the future. So do you set tangible goals uh, about this project at Mudhouse for I want to be at this particular 
replace with it in two years, mm. or do yeah. you do you uh, kind of let the landscape? Yeah, kinda I mean, one of one of the uh, take you care know, of itself. Yeah, I hope I hope to double in size in the next two years. You know, from a revenue standpoint, but also in a staff standpoint, which means we're growing. You know, uh, we're at a point where we're growing and and we're getting a lot of work where we need to staff up and create more content and more folks, more content folks are coming to us for help in the podcast space because it's still in its infancy as we know it's still the wild wild west uh, and people still trying to find and out and navigate those those uh, waters and pathways but you know I think we have that right goal and that north star that we, we're going to stay on and at, at its heart it's all about content which is yeah. where content is, your is heart king. started with it right yeah yep. content is, is king it always will be oh man yeah well I wish you the best on Mudhouse oh. and I'm so glad that we got to take a saunter yeah thank you buzz and, and anytime you want to take a walk man i i, I love taking walks thank you chris it. i appreciate it it's awesome taking a walk with buzz night is available on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.